Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice. This week's guest is Todd Rutledge. Todd is the Assistant Director of Athletic Facilities at Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts, a member of the Ivy League, where he's responsible for the day-to-day operation of 20 buildings and 76 acres of the athletic campus at Harvard. He has extensive sport management experience working in major events, sport administration, and sport marketing. I hope you enjoy the next few minutes with Todd Rutledge. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice, and with me this week is Todd Rutledge, coming to us from Cambridge, Massachusetts, in the arguably the mecca of higher education, Harvard University. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Uh, more on Todd and our relationship in a second, but uh, welcome, Todd. Thanks, Dr. Rice. Uh, I'm very honored that you've uh, reached out to me and uh, asked me to be on this. I think this what you're doing is uh, is great for uh, those of us coming up in the business and, um, you know, still trying to get where we want to go. Yeah, you know, honestly, it's been for me, it's been one of those things that has been um, it's been fun because I've had a chance to actually be able to learn more about each person, of course, each week, but also I I get something from it as well, which is kind of neat. And I think we should always continue to learn. And, you know, Todd is a former uh, graduate student of mine um, when I taught at Southern New Hampshire University and uh, as an adjunct faculty member. And um, Todd has a very unique background, and I'll let him tell you about himself here in a second. So uh, tell us about yourself, Todd. Um, well, like you said, I'm the assistant director of uh, facilities for the uh, Harvard Athletics right now. Um, I've been there probably six years as a full time in that in that position. Um, I got my start there after uh, the program that I went through with Dr. Rice at Southern New Hampshire University and had to uh, perform an internship. Um, and I just kind of forced them to keep me. Um, my background was in, in major events, uh, sports administration, marketing, um, things of that nature, which my first job out of college, um, the first time out of the university of North Carolina was the 96 Olympics. I walked out of there and, um, a couple of networking connections and made, managed to, uh, sign on as, a as a volunteer at first and then um with a with the auspice that as they started to develop their um their staff that i would get hired on and ended up being the uh assistant sports coordinator for table tennis oddly enough um without a big background in that but it was more of the um the work that i'd done as a volunteer helping write the competition manuals um, with the director of sport and her and his assistant, um, that led to that type of a role. Um, from there, I, I worked for the Wichita Wranglers, uh, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time they were the Devil Rays. Now they're the Tampa Bay Rays during their inaugural season. Um, one of my Olympic colleagues recruited me to go out and run events for at-risk youth out in California. 
Um, from there, I ended up in uh, Breckenridge, uh, Colorado, um, and started working with, and then ended up working with uh, the Denver Broncos uh, via center plate and the um, uh, concessionaires uh, with that. And then again, same people recruited me to help out with the 2000 Olympics and the 2002 Olympics. Um, so I left the Broncos, uh, that, that role with my, the Broncos there and came back to better ones each time I came back, um, which then I met a young lady from Waltham, Massachusetts and uh, transferred with center plate out to Massachusetts and helped open uh, Fisher Cat Stadium up in Manchester, New Hampshire. A um, few years later, in and out of the sports uh, entertainment industry through a number of other jobs and roles, life changed. And at 40 something, I decided to go back and get my master's degree um, at Southern New Hampshire, which is where I met Dr. Rice. About that. And so a very quick and but lengthy background on me. Absolutely. A, a very, you know, what you, you shared a lot of and what we'll, we'll talk a little bit about networking uh, later on in the interview, but you know, uh, kind of the progression of getting to the place where each time you're like, you know, I'm going to come in and I'm going to prove to you that you want me around here all the time. And uh, yes. uh, that obviously sounds like what's happened there at Harvard. And um, so as far as uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Orlando, Florida, or just outside in Windermere, Florida. Um, just on the uh, other other side of the of the of the wall to Isleworth where uh Arnold Palmer built the a, a nice community in an orange grove and uh Tiger Woods and Lou Holtz and all those and Shaq and some of those other guys have all lived and they wouldn't let me in so <laughs> they took they took they took the orange grove where I used to go fishing and have orange fights in and uh and and made it a really nice uh affluent community and, and wouldn't let me in anymore. <laughs> well, I, you know, you, you were there first, though, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, there in, 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 in Florida, how did you get your start in sport? I mean, did you get your start like many p kids do, like just going through youth sport? I mean, how did you get your yep. start? No, I played football, baseball, basketball, soccer growing up. Um, my love was, uh, baseball and I played that 10 months out of the year, five, five or six teams a year, um, year round down there and, um, all the way through high school. And then I played at Valencia community college for two years before I transferred up to North Carolina. And, um, that I walked on in North Carolina that ended my, my playing career. Um, my father was a, uh, NCAA basketball referee at a very high level and, and refereed six final fours. So sports was always kind of in the house and around and I had ample opportunity to meet some um really legends in 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 the sporting industry and and be privy to that and um you know th now through my career when I meet people and I'm talking to people it doesn't affect me or it doesn't it doesn't phase me it's just they're just people and 
um you know they have they have uh unique abilities um just like many of us do but there's our uh front and center on a on a larger stage where they get broadcast and paid big bucks but um at the end of the day they're just people just like you and i yeah it, that is interesting uh, that you bring that up uh, one of my recent uh guests um uh, basically we talked about that and that every person has their their trajectory or their where they end up right and you know in your case currently you ended up there and at harvard and you know every person i think that is what i try to let my sport uh students know sport management sports psych students know that we're all human you know and it it, the no is the best the second best answer you can receive if you ask the question hey can I take you out to coffee. Hey, can I, you know, whatever, uh, to talk to somebody that's in this industry. Now I know Absolutely. some may be a little high, higher than that, that you could probably might have to go through other people. But, um, so you brought up your dad, uh, doing what he did. And, uh, of course it must've been an incredible experience to, uh, potentially, uh, did you travel with your dad to some of those final fours? Uh, yes, I, I ended up, uh, attending six as well, five of the ones he did, and then one at uh, North Carolina one. Oh wow! Down in New Orleans, that that was a lot of fun while I was in school. <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, it's that that was what uh, what ninety ninety three three yeah right wow that was a great team too yeah um so uh your dad obviously was a a great ladder holder for you to show you some of the <laughs> great uh, experiences in sport who else has held the ladder for you as you've climbed to the success you have now um well i have to include my mom in that one too mom and dad always uh my biggest supporters uh throughout my life in every facet um and i i thank them every day for for giving me the uh the tools and work ethic that um have gotten me as far as they have um couple of people that I worked with, with, uh, with the Olympics in 1996 became really good friends and, and mentors, uh, throughout the, um, the career. And like I said, I got recruited by those folks. Um, Rob Miller, uh, he's with real sports, R E E L. And he, and one of his buddies have started a movie consulting business for sports movies. And they help with the realistic uh, presentation and the the sports side from a, a movie storytelling perspective, making sure that when you're doing um, Friday Night Lights, and the, the football scene looks like a football scene should. Um, or, you know, the Space Jam, the basketball and the animation and stuff like that get put into place. I don't I don't know that they did either of those, but that's the type of movie that they work on. Um, and, and they've been doing that probably 25 years now and they've made a really, uh, really nice run at it. Um, you know, Lou Loria is a, is the, uh, director of the special Olympics, I believe, or no, the Paralympics, one of the two. But he, I worked with him. Um, he helped. He's helped me along the way. Um, 
And just, you know, like, like you said, it's the, it's the relationships and, and folks that you've built, um, young man that my dad, um, helped mentor as an official, I ended up working with at the 2002 Salt Lake Olympics, uh, Brad Eggert. And he, you know, he went as far as he could as an official and then kind of, uh, went back into the sports marketing and, and things like that. And have started, he started a couple of businesses. And, um, so those are the folks that have, have really helped me. And then my current boss is, uh, you know, he's a substantially younger than I am, but has a lot of great, um, NCAA, uh, and, um, competition, uh, facility knowledge for the competitions that we put on with, uh, natural grass, artificial turf and ice making with uh, our hockey program. And so he's, he's been a great advocate and a, and a, and a, and a, and just a, our working relationship has been as, as strong as any other that I've ever experienced. And I've really enjoyed working with him the last couple of years. And I hope we can continue that for, uh, next few, at least. Sure. Um, well, and being at Harvard, uh and, and can you kind of tell us a little bit uh well i guess before we get into what your facilities are like at harvard because there are significant facilities there what are the biggest challenges you face in your day-to-day job in facilities what what are the biggest challenges well that those two things kind of merge together um the facilities are very old um the football stadium, as, as you mentioned earlier, was built in 1903, um, and it's on an historical registry. Uh, it was a national monument um, because it was the original football stadium built in the United States. Um, it has some other very unique characteristics, but ultimately, it's a very old stadium that requires quite a bit of um, funding to maintain its structural integrity um and it is lacking in a number of the uh modern age uh programmatic needs and um bells and whistles if you will i mean the some of it's just it's just it's just old and lacking um we do our best with trying to maintain them at a certain level but at some point um you need to get into uh a sequence of events with building your facilities model or your operating and maintenance budgets such that replacement values and um and operating costs are all covered and that's one of the things that we're really working on that, that craig and i have been working on um, the last few years, because when the when the economy drops in 2008 and they stop doing all the the PM to your mechanical systems, and then it doesn't get put back in the budget for five or six years, you start losing those systems a lot faster than you would normally. Um, we're in the process of uh, renovating two boathouses that were built in 1900 and 1906, respectively. Um, they've had some moderate uh, upgrades through the years, 
but this is going to be a substantial overhaul to where it still won't get it to be the most modern boathouse in 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 the country but it will be a lot more modern in in the sense that it'll be more functional for today's uh rowing um community um from a training from a access from uh just in, i mean the fact that we're going to put um you know newer newer systems in a building that hasn't had them um you know it, it it's it's kind of it's kind of funny that these things are like shells of a building i mean it's it's almost like there's still not a lot of structure there um you know and redoing you know the, the the fire systems we can't get parts for anymore you know it's it's like okay guys i need another year out of this fire system come on help me out here we got to be able to keep occupying this building um you know we went through we've got dylan field house which is uh probably a mid 50s um which is one of my newer buildings um built in the 50s and the whole i've got 13 capital projects alone that I could go in and do that would be, you know, 150 to $2 million a piece. Um, just to go, just to keep the building up and running that we should be doing, um, anything from redoing the branch wiring and increasing the capacity because we use a lot more electricity and we have more devices and, and things like that. Um, not to mention that 50% of the building's not air conditioned and we have all of our field teams in there and they come in in August off a 90 degree field into a 110 degree locker room. And it's like, all right, well, that's kind of counterproductive. Um, so I think, I think the keeping up with older facilities and ensuring that the funding is there both when they're built while they're being maintained and then we and then the replacement cost we can give we can get people to give us two million dollars for a new scoreboard but we got to maintain it and 10 years later we got to replace it and that doesn't that all covered that first initial buy-in and so and then the other piece is nobody wants to put their name on on the mechanical closet that we got to put in or or the uh you know, the infrastructure that goes into the ground to build the building. Um, you know, we had a hitting facility that we recently put up and it ended up being a three season building because we couldn't put two to $3 million in the ground to put up a $150,000 building. It didn't make any sense um, because we didn't have the plumbing and electric and all those things in place to, to get there. And the other pieces were right there on the Charles River in Boston, on the Boston side. And it used to be a riverbed. So the soils all, well, some of it's contaminated and has materials that we can't ship off site. So we have to keep all the dirt. And the other piece is it's not very stable. So our footings have to be deeper and, and larger than most. And you put that much in the ground, you don't, you don't get a lot out of it. Um, you know, from a value standpoint on the building that goes on top. 
So yeah. I think those are probably some of our biggest challenges day to day. And then managing 18 buildings and 74 acres is, uh, it, it gets to be a lot for two, two or three of us. Well, and I was going to bring this up too, that, you know, uh, you don't have like, in terms of being able to build new stuff, you don't have a whole lot of uh, real estate or extra space really where you're at. Cause you're at that bend there in the Charles river, the campus is, and, yeah. and that, that's that one, one thing I've, I think is really fascinating. And for anyone listening, uh, you know, uh, Harvard stadium, it, the construction cost uh, was in 1903 was $310,000, Amer- uh, $310,000, which <laughs> in 2020 would be $8.93 million. Um, Think about that. Get you close. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, the value of Harvard Stadium, uh, in like in terms of the, the cost, obviously, uh, being a historical uh, location, but I mean, there's just so uh, one thing I, that your uh, challenge is obviously with having older facilities. And I would imagine that many of the Ivy League programs have older facilities because of, of the age of the school. I mean, do your contemporaries and other uh, members of the Ivy League, uh, do they have similar issues? Uh, yes, of course. Um, we all have some of the older buildings and um you know the Yale Bowl is also one of those football stadiums that got put on the national registry of historic landmarks along with the Rose Bowl when because those were the first three uh football stadiums ever built and they're all still in use which is amazing and so um yeah we do we all have similar um constraints and you know and you know our folks down in uh, Columbia have even more space restrictions, um, where the folks out of Cornell have all the land they need. Um, but they're also in the middle of nowhere, um, out in Ithaca. And so, you know, you got some give and take there. Um, I think, I think that being able to illustrate the history of these buildings and the programs and the longstanding um, status of integrated athletics into the culture of Harvard has been a huge selling point for us. Most people don't know this, but Harvard has the largest athletic department in the country. Um, we field 42 varsity programs, and that's more about nine more than anybody else. Wow. And, and so obviously in your role in facilities, you, you really have to juggle and make sure that everyone has what they need. Right. So, I mean, are your facilities heavily taxed? And, and what I mean by that, like just you're using them so very much and you have three folks that are kind of uh, managing the whole thing. I mean, that obviously keeps you on your toes. Yeah, of course. Um, we've got a couple of folks that really keep us out of the soup from our, uh, the grounds, the grounds crew from Cambridge landscape does a really good job for us. And we have, a an area operator an electrician, a couple of, uh, physical, uh, physical operations assistants. Um, and those guys do a fantastic job. And we manage, Craig and I manage oversee all those guys. 
but for the most part, um, the day-to-day, you know, maintenance and the programmatic improvements and, um, like you said, uh, the scheduling and, and maintaining the life cycle of all of our, our use, um, and utility of the, each of the facilities is extremely difficult. Um, and it goes through cycles. We also have a very robust, uh, club and intramural program that uses a lot of our facilities as well. And, and that adds to what you were saying about being taxed. Um, our synthetic surfaces usually most like an average high school or, or, you know, a small college would get 10 or 12 years out of them. We're probably, we should be re- removing them and replacing them about every six to eight years, but we end up in that 10 year cycle just because of some of the commitments that we have in other, re- in other areas. And it's a, it's a run to fail kind of um, thing where we just replaced one this, this summer because we kind of had to, and it had been, you know, that eight to 10 year window. And it's like, okay, we really don't want to play on this again. We're somebody's going to get hurt. So we run into that, um, quite a bit. Wow. So with, uh, you know, you've been around the, you've been around the block, you've done a lot of different things. You've, you've worked in different organizations at different levels. What skills do you consider to be essential for success as a sports professional in in any segment of sport? I mean, what are the skills you think are important? Um, Time management and problem solving um, are always essential in in almost anything you're doing. Um, You know, the problem solving part of my job is uh, critical. Um, You know, I get, I kind of consider myself the fireman um, because I'm always putting out a fire here or there, um, trying to resolve somebody, somebody's issues that, you know, who knows how it got that way, but it is that way. And we got to fix it before we start playing in an hour. Um, you know, it's audio here or, um, you know, a field net here or, you know, whatever it is, it's, you, you got to solve the, solve the issue. Um, the, I guess the other pieces is, is being able to, and I don't, I don't consider it multitasking, but being able to prioritize the thing that you're working on and the thing that's most important to get done. Um, Because ultimately you need to work on, you need to focus on something, get it done and move on to the next one. Um, As opposed to trying to do three things at once. Um, I think, I think that's, that's a critical skill. And I guess that goes back to the time management piece of, of what you're doing. Um, because, and then being able to manage people and get them to be on the same time schedule as you need them to be. Um, I, with, with, with our facilities role, um, we don't get many opportunities to get into a building and do work when we're in season or even when we're out of season, basically when school's in, um, so oddly enough, I'm coming to a slower period in, in my schedule right now, which is usually one that is 
very full of projects. So this win this winter session coming um, December through January when the kids are in test mode and then in vacation mode and then coming back to school in January, we're usually running anywhere from eight to 10 projects in our various buildings trying to get things done and accomplished. But this, this year is an anomaly um, due to a couple of factors of, of studies and things that we have going on that we're just kind of holding on to, um, you know, I probably have two or three as opposed to eight to 10, where in the summer, last summer, we walked into June with about 45 slated for the summer, ended up doing about 20 of them, um, again, due to funding. Um, and then when August hit and everybody else, so the facilities group were a few of the very, very, a few of the very few essential employees that were on campus all through COVID uh, because we had to keep our buildings operational, running healthy and ready for when we did turn them back on to get them up and running. Um, we had quite a bit of uh, work to do um, to get them functional to where kind of take them out of sleep mode, if you will, to get them back up and ready before um, the larger population came back. And then August 2nd, everybody came back full force and was like, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I need it now. And so August was an extremely hectic month this year. And once we got everybody back on the field, back up and running, our fall sports were ready to go. We can focus on the out-of-season out of uh, sports that we're still going to participate in the fall. And um, those are a lot of our field sports that are going to take place and, and have a short season in the fall, so to speak. Um, and some of the rules changed and they had an extended amount of hours that they were allowed to be on the field because of COVID and trying to get everybody back up and running. Um, so that increased that workload as well. And so it was a, it was a hectic and challenging um, couple months uh, coming out of July and August and in the first part of September. Yeah. Well, and you know, with uh it would appear that you know with with football and is football still going at harvard they they have they played the the game yet they play the game tomorrow okay but yeah, uh, it'll be gonna... we're as we're doing this on friday the 19th they play uh the 20th down down at yale and um, we, we haven't had the hard, the game as you refer to it as, as we do too, um, at Harvard since 2016 because of COVID. And then we had the 2018, uh, version at Fenway park where we would have hosted, but we deferred and moved that over to Fenway for the year because the, they had asked us to be participate in their, um, in their football um program okay yeah so go from one legendary venue to another one exactly. <laughs> what, exactly what a neat thing yeah no i uh so um you know the, the one thing about this industry is being able to like you said problem solve um it's also uh doing the job where you're at when you're there and everything and making the big time where you're at of course but in order to get to the place where you are, you have to be able to network. And uh, how do you approach networking? Obviously, you've 
been doing the networking thing for many years and and even to start the podcast you talked about basically hey i'm going to volunteer in for the olympics and the next thing you know you have a, a higher level position and you're doing it at multiple olympic uh games and then sure same thing happened at harvard so so what how important is networking in in the sport industry uh i think it's extremely important and i'm still not very good at it um it's the main building and maintaining relationships is, is takes work and to reach, to bring value to a relationship and to continually think of others and be of be in service to others is the best way to network and to be able to see something and think of somebody else and, or, Hey, I, I was, I ran across this the other day and I thought of you and, and I just wanted to let you know that, um, I hope this helps. And I, I was thinking of you and if you ever need anything, let me know. Um, that type, that type of just short conversation, um, you know, and then when you do need to connect with somebody or reconnect with somebody that you haven't talked to in years and, they know, you know, that they know somebody that you need to know and, and that type of thing, the six degrees of separation comes in handy. And, and, you know, it, as funny as that is, it's true. It, it's so true. Um, especially with some of the great social networking, um, devices like LinkedIn or, um, you know, even Facebook and email and, and those type of things, but just being able to be connected to people and, and, see who they're connected to um is extremely advantageous especially in this day and age where you can you know reach out and comment on a post that they made just to start a conversation um and then if they do respond then well you've got an in or um you know you see that you know you you know um matt doherty and i want to get back to working down in north carolina and you know those type of things and um you know or, or something like that and, and you know where my father knows um you know the the commissioner out in the mountain west conference and i want to make a change and go back out and live in colorado again um or you know somewhere out west and something like that so well, I, I tried to. I tried throughout my career to use utilize some of my father's connections. I I was never really very successful, to be honest with you. And it was always um, my either networking or work ethic or just desire to be somewhere and and say this is what I want to do and figure out how to go do it. Um, you know, and like I like I said, I volunteered out of college at the Olympics, knowing that they were going to grow their their staff. At Harvard, I volunteered. I, I came in as an intern, um, and then kind of they created a position for me because they needed to expand their their facilities group um, with another full time um, full time person, just because they weren't getting done what they needed to get done, and so it was great. And I actually work for the Office of Planning Resource Management um, from a FTE budgetary standpoint, but 99% of my duties are assigned to athletics. And so, you know, you just kind of get in and you force them to keep you. 
by doing good things and bringing value every day. Well, and I want to jump in on on your your experiences with internships for any of our uh, listeners who are uh, sport management students or just college students just trying to get an opportunity to get your foot in the door. Uh, you know, you're obviously a great example of how the internship can lead to success. Can you kind of talk a little bit about why that internship? I mean, why is it important to intern? Well, you get in and you meet the people, you get to know, you build the relationships with the people and you get to understand their business better and finding ways to, to draw upon your experience, even, even if it is limited um, on, you know, I find that, especially at Harvard, we've been doing things the same way for years and years and years and years and change is hard and all often very slow. But bringing new and fresh ideas to the table and and illustrating how those can improve the operation or save money or um, advance a advance a program or um, improve the the culture or um, build team build, you know, create a team building activity or, um, you know, or understanding between groups or whatever it is, it synergizes things and, and gets you a stage or an opportunity to be involved in that type of, uh, of movement, which in older organizations is very, very difficult. Yeah, I know that the internship, many of them are are volunteer. Uh, yeah. Was yours volunteer at Harvard? No, uh, it might as well have been. But, um, you know, we do pay a minimum wage uh, for 35 or 40 hours a week um, without any benefits. Um, we have a there. Right now, we don't have a facilities internship. When they created my job, that went away. Um, and I've been fighting to get it back ever since because I think that that's a, I think those are critical, um, critical pieces to our operation. Our events team has four interns and our marketing has two and our um, communications department is almost half run by interns um they've got four to five um we have a multimedia department which is an, a really up-and-coming field within athletics um throughout the country because of the streaming we we stream all of our athletic competitions on espn plus and um the gentleman running our em emory Halevi is one of the best in the business and he does a really good job with a limited staff um, a lot of people who are game day employees, they come and work for the, their student employees or they're interested in the industry and they, and they come back and, and work with them um, to help produce all of our, um, all of our competition productions. So, wow. Wow. Well, and so uh, it just goes to show you and for anyone listening, you know, they're, uh, you hear what Todd's saying about how many people that, that are interns are helping run a, 
a division one athletics program. And, it, you know, I think that that uh, the largest, by the way, <laughs> in terms of uh, sports uh, offered, whatever. Um, so, you know, I know from my experience, I, I've, I tell people that I, I uh, have a master's degree in internships. I think I have like over almost a thousand hours of, uh, of work experience as an intern. Uh, and that doesn't even count many of the other volunteer roles I've had. Um, so uh, what is one piece of advice? You know, you've been in the business for a long time. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's just starting a career in sport? Um, learn the technology. Know the technology that sports is run on, um, from multimedia to scoreboards to um, the RFI chips that are they're put placed in the bibs that are chasing the, that are watching these kids run around the field and tracking their their movement and the amount of steps and things that they're taking on a basketball court during a game. Um, understand the uh, you know, get to know the playing surfaces of the sports that you're most interested in, understand what it takes to maintain them. Um, you know, get all in, um, you know, from a facility side, you know, obviously understanding the MEP, the mechanical electrical plumbing, um, side of the business, um, because the, without the buildings, you're not playing basketball. You're not, you know, you're not doing the other things that you have to do. And nobody really acknowledges a lot of that. But if you, if you walk into a cold gym or a hot gym or, a, um, we, we, we had a, a heat wave in October and we'd pulled a temporary air conditioner out that we'd had in the gym up at Malkin, uh, for volleyball because it's always so hot from August to October here and the gym's not air conditioned. So we put a temporary air conditioner in there and we pulled it out on, on Columbus day thinking, okay, we're good. We aren't going to need any um, air conditioning for the rest of the rest of the year. And we had a heat wave the next week and we're playing Cornell and, and they can't keep the floor dry because it's so humid. And so we ended up stopping a match with three points left, moving it to a side court, and so that was just a disaster, but we ended up winning. And, and so that worked out for us, but um, our, our events team really should get a, a, a big, you know, attaboy because that was not a, a normal situation at all. But, you know, getting to know what you're working with and, and, you know, learning by trial and error, um, you know, the old philosophy of go try fail and keep doing it until you get, until you learn it. Um, don't be afraid to fail. I mean, we've all failed. Um, it's, it's something that you're going to do. I promise you, you you're going to have some time where, you know, you just can't get it done and you're going to have to figure out what to do next and just got to keep going. Yeah. Well, your your uh, statement earlier about solving problems uh, obviously is not something that just uh, relates to sport facilities industry, but it relates to any in any segment of sports. Absolutely. I think I think that that's whether you're uh, helping manage the table tennis venue <laughs> event at the Summer Olympics uh, to being there at Harvard. Um, so. Uh, 
last question. Uh, how do you hold the ladder for others uh, currently? I mean, you know, how, how do you help sure. people climb the greater success? Well, um, recently I've, I've been doing a, uh, a guest Q&A slash, you know, lecture. A lot of what we've been doing here um, with a group of students from Fisher College Sports Management Program um, and uh, Katie Shea, who's their professor, uh, has asked me to sit on their advisory board for that program. Um, so I'm going to be starting that work here soon. I believe we have a meeting in the spring. Um, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. I try and um, remain open to uh, requests for, you know, stadium tours or thing, you know, students, students looking for information on, on their projects or things like that, because um, the person who I ended up replacing eventually um, was very generous and kind to me um, when I was a student and I came out for a tour and I did my project on Harvard Stadium and then uh, hired me as an intern and then left three months later uh, opening up a position, but uh, which I didn't get, by the way. Um, and then so the person they hired along with the other hiring manager um, you know, tried, they, they were adamant about trying to keep me around. And so they, that's when they created that extra position um, so that I could, I could stay and continue to do good work. Wow. Well, that's great. And, you know, I do think that being engaged and involved outside of what you're doing, especially as we all get older, right. You know, yeah. the, the, the older we get, uh, the more experience we get, you know, the more we can provide others opportunities to learn from our, our experience and, and what we've done. And um, so I appreciate you're doing that for Fisher College course and, and that you also acknowledge that uh, others have held the ladder for you. And I think that that's uh, a key element to anyone being able to do well in this is being humble and continuing to learn. Um, Todd, it's it's great to be able to catch up with you, of course, after a few years, and I'm so glad that you've been so successful there, and and that uh, it seems like there, there's never a day without a challenge, and so there's not that's that's actually something that's a good thing, wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I always joke. I was like, I couldn't drive a desk. I I'm up and about and. You know, in August, I was averaging about eight miles a day between buildings, uh, walking around during my normal, you know, schedule. And if I get an hour or two at my desk towards the end of the day to get some paperwork done, then, you know, that's a bonus. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I have to block out a couple hours every week just to pay the bills and, and get all the invoices processed and stuff like that. So it's... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy my job in that respect that it's not sitting in a cube banging keys on a keyboard. And, you know, every once in a while I get to go to a, a great football game or hockey game or basketball game or um, stand out in the rain and watch softball and baseball slug it out with uh, with Penn or Cornell. And uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Wow. Well, I, I appreciate you taking time today. How, do you, how would you like to close the podcast? Well, I'd, I'd just like to, you know, say thank you to the 
two most important ladder holders, my mom and my dad, and um, say that I'm extremely blessed to have worked with so many great, great individuals throughout my career and, um, and have folks in, in my life that have mentored me and, um, and provided direction and, and, and encouragement on the way to wherever you're going to go, wherever you're going to go. And, um, just really feel thankful and grateful in this time of Thanksgiving we're coming up on, um, that I can be where I am and I have three great children, um, and enjoy what I'm doing. And, and you can't ask for much more than that. No, I completely agree. And, uh, wish you continued success there. Uh, and also in your overall career. And uh, I want to thank you again, just for being a guest and sharing from your experience. So thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Rice. Uh, you, you were one of the ones that held the ladder for me and I, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, you taught me so much in a very short period of time that we were involved in that program, but um, it's, it, it, it lasted. Well, and it, it's been something that I've always uh, looked back on very fondly. So I appreciate it and uh, keep doing the good work here holding at holding the ladder and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, same here. Well, and uh, thank you so much, Todd. And thanks everyone for listening to this week's uh, episode. We look forward to seeing you this next week. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening. And until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible.